Good morrow! This is Allison. And Beverly. And we are back again with Shaky Shaky Understanding. Understanding. This week we are talking about Hamlet, which Mm. upon reading for, I think this is probably the second time I've read it, honestly. I think I've only read it twice. What? Maybe it's my third time. I don't know. I'm sorry. That's preposterous. Um, I think I've read it like five times. Have you ever seen it? Um, no, actually, now that you ask, no, I don't think I've ever seen Hamlet. I have seen Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, however. So, bonus points. So jealous. Okay. Bonus points on that. Okay. But upon reading it for this time, this amount of times, I think that this is potentially the most quoted thing ever written, (laughs) of which I did some research on, and... I, that's a pretty accurate statement. And no, I, absolutely. Even just when you and I were preparing for the podcast, we were texting back and forth just lines from the show, but things that are still literally said in everyday mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just jumped in with that. Do we want to talk about that first? I was excited about it. Well, oh, oh, no. Let's do a summary first. Jumping out the gate. Yeah. Let's do a summary first. Some of, some of these good people listening perhaps. <laughs> May not have even read Hamlet once. Nice. We're going to do abridged Shakespeare. And we got a little feedback from last time, so we're going to go into a little more depth of summary today. Yes. Um, which is good, because Hamlet is a pretty dense play as, a, as far as, like, what's going Hamlet's on. Hamlet's relationship status <gasps> is, it's complicated. With every <laughs> other character. Not romantic relationship, like, everyone. Every, Hamlet and his mom. It's, it's complicated. complicated. Hamlet and his skull. It's, it's complicated. complicated. Okay. We open the play with... Basically, um, not main characters, which is really interesting to me. Oh, a um, little bit of Star Wars action going on. A little bit of Star Wars action going on. In the 1500s. In the 1500s. <laughs> and they see the ghost. They see a ghost of what looks to be the dead king, Hamlet mm. Sr., actually. His mm-hmm. name is also Hamlet. And then the next scene we see our hero, Hamlet, and he's at a wedding of his uncle to his actual mother, Oh my god, that scene takes place at a wedding? Yeah. Didn't catch that. It doesn't have to be the wedding, but it's but a lot sort of, of implied a lot that of it's, either, it's either like the party for the wedding. That's what I party. thought it was like a feast that they yeah. were at. Okay. All so right, gotcha. It's important though because it's right after his father has apparently died an untimely death. Mm. And it's said that he was bit by a viper. And Hamlet is clearly very upset that his mother is marrying so quickly after his father died. And so then he's told about this ghost sighting. And he ends up going with them to see if he can spot the ghost as well. And the ghost comes and actually has a conversation with him and tells him, I was not bit by a viper. I was poisoned by your uncle. And you must revenge me. He basically demands satisfaction for this crime that's been committed against him. Fratricide, which means Mm. killing your brother. So then Hamlet, the rest of the play, is wrestling with this concept of avenging his father and killing his uncle. He has trouble with it because of damnation. We talked about with Romeo and Juliet how Mm -hmm. this is a Christian society and like doing the wrong thing in your life can ruin your afterlife forever. So that's really Mm -hmm. important to him. And whether the ghost is a heavenly spirit or the devil trying to get him to go down the path of darkness. Because he doesn't really know if it's his dad's ghost. It could be anything. It's a ghost. He doesn't know. The king knowing something is up because it is revealed that the king did poison his brother, starts to bring in all these people and try and see where Hamlet is and see if 
he knows anything or if anything's gone amiss with his plan, if he, if he is going to get away with this murder or not. And Hamlet uses all that against him. His friends from college come, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and he pretends to be crazy around them. Ophelia, they use, his girlfriend, they use her against him, and he uh, sticks to the plan and basically, like, casts her aside and just denies his love to her. There's a play within a play in this um, play. <laughs> and <laughs> he uses that to make the king look guilty because he plays out what happened. And the king does look guilty and he confesses to no one. No one is in the room that he thinks, but Hamlet overhears him. And so he so has the, the king, confession. the king is confessing to himself. Yeah, to himself and to in God. In a soliloquy? In a soliloquy. Which is a term we will be defining later in the episode. Yes. Sad. Keep going. And at one point, Hamlet is talking to his mother and Polonius is spying on them to see Hamlet's mind, to see if he does anything crazy. Polonius is Ophelia's father, right? Yes. Polonius, Double points to me. Polonius is Ophelia and Laertes' father. He'll come in later. Yeah. Laertes. Ophelia, okay. Hamlet's girlfriend. Got it. Polonius is spying on him while he's talking to his mother, and Hamlet hears him and kills him from behind a curtain. So he didn't know it was Polonius. And then he hides the body. Okay. He's sent away after that. Yeah. After he drags the body out. Hamlet is going to go back to England and back to college, and... The king orders his execution as soon as he steps on that ship. Off stage, we don't get to see what happens, but Hamlet discovers the letter that says they're supposed to kill him, and he takes over the ship and sends it back to Denmark. He comes back and says, Horatio, the Claudius tried to kill me, so I'm ready to I'm ready to whoop. Like he's like, I'm ready to kill Claudius now. Um, who is the king who married his mother? Claudius is the king. Mm-hmm. I just want to be clear on Ollie's names because it was confusing me. Hamlet comes back, but in the meanwhile, while he's been gone, Ophelia has drowned herself because she's so upset over her father dying and Hamlet leaving her. So Laertes is upset because Hamlet killed his father and Ophelia drowned herself because of all the things that are going wrong in her life. So when Hamlet comes back, Laertes works with King Claudius to kill Hamlet and they end up envenoming a foil, like a fencing foil with poison. And venoming? Envenoming. Like dipping a sword in poison. Yes. Dipping a sword in poison. And so, you know, some of us are really smart and still are not following this all the way. Okay. And they fight. And through swords changing hands and things, both Laertes and Hamlet end up dead and poisoned. And Hamlet ends up also getting to kill the king throughout all that. And Laertes says, like, I'm so sorry. The poison was my fault. I shouldn't have done it. The king and I were in working together and I shouldn't have done it. And do you forgive me? And Hamlet's like, yes, I forgive you. Do you forgive me for all the wrong I've done you? While they're dying? While they're dying. And that that absolves them of the sins, of the things that they've done oh, um, wow. that were wrong right before they die. Oh, so that's why it's super important that they forgive each other. Yeah. And, um, and so Horatio's left with a bunch of bodies. And is left to tell the tale of what happened to Fortinbras, who's only kind of important if you like politics. And <laughs> um, There's another political layer to this show. Right. And okay. this, this other character, Fortinbras, has been like marching through the lands all around, taking over places. And it's said to be that he's going to be the next leader of Denmark now that all of this has happened. And yeah. Great job. Thank Great you. job. I can't wait to hard. hear you do all the Henrys. <laughs> Henry IV. All the Henrys. Jesus. 
It's going to be great. I'm going to call in some help for those. The political layer of the show that you just kind of touched on a little bit at the end. I'm not good with politics. You're doing great. (laughs) To be honest, the political and historical aspects are my weak point as well. Okay. Because I'm I'm just not very well versed in history. But I've I've had this point talked to me in a class before. And what's important to the play is that Fortinbras is a foil for Hamlet. Because Mm. Fortinbras is a youngster who's up and coming into power which is what Hamlet is at the beginning of this play, because he's the prince. He should have been king when his father died. Claudius basically usurped the throne. He married the queen, so it's sort of like, well, I guess he could be in power, and he's related to the king, so it's like, oh. And Hamlet's young. I think at one point it says Hamlet's like 20 years old, but plays do whatever they want with it. I've seen him as old as like 40 in the Kenneth Branagh version. Well, of co- I mean, I feel like a lot of actors that are older play Hamlet, right. which is fine, of course. But when you are reading it and when we were reading it out loud, it definitely would be so interesting to see almost like a 10 Things I Hate About You, a modern day version of Hamlet set in high school. You'd obviously have to change some of the plot points, so that, because, I mean, nowadays, if somebody murders someone, like, you're probably just going to go to jail. You're not going to just marry someone else, and it's going to be fine. Like, so that's got to be worked out in a way. I think that helps explain a lot of his character, if, he, if he's young. Yeah. Fortinbras is a foil for Hamlet, because they're both young, uh-huh. and should be in power, or, like, just about to, on the cusp of, of power. Mm-hmm. And Hamlet, throughout the play is dealing with this indecision and whether he should do this thing or not. And Fortinbras is actively pursuing something. He's leading armies across and he's he's given freedom to like move through Denmark to conquer land. And in the end, he ends up having Denmark. So that that's kind of as far as I understand about it. That's great. It's just such a good transition Go to a point that I wanted to make. I Go know ahead. we're going to talk about soliloquies and monologues. Mm-hmm. And the sort of actively pursuing thing, I don't know a lot about performing Shakespeare necessarily and like breaking down the text and figuring out what the heck am I saying? What does this all even mean? But what I do know is that a lot of people, if you see Shakespeare done badly, a lot of the soliloquies are just like, let me take center stage and have this long waxing poem about then they don't know what they're talking about either. Right. And I think the point of so many soliloquies is they are actively moving the plot forward, whether it's telling you what the character is thinking in their mind, and Hamlet is really struggling with all these decisions. I think what's important to keep in mind is everything has to be active. When you watch really good people doing Shakespeare, even a soliloquy is very active. They're actively pursuing something, and then you can conquer the whole show that way. Okay, you talk. So I'm going to define soliloquy and monologue. We're going to get into the technical aspect right now. I'm going to take a guess. Yeah, go ahead. I don't really know, but I'm going to take a guess. I would say a monologue is one person talking within a scene, usually when you're having a dialogue with one person and then you talk for a long moment, or there's maybe multiple people on stage and then you talk for a moment. Let's think of a modern day example. Anything in West Wing or Newsroom, pretty much anything. Tarantino does it a ton. Aaron Sorkin as well does it. A soliloquy, I believe, is when it's one person alone or seemingly alone on stage. There might be people hiding behind a curtain. You don't know, Hamlet, so watch out. And talking not directly at a specific person, but just talking. But again, it should be active talking. 
Am I right? Yay, gold star. You would think I majored in theater history or something. It's crazy. So that that's the definition then of a monologue and a soliloquy. A monologue is when you're yeah. talking to someone, a soliloquy, you're not talking to anyone specifically. Yeah. Often soliloquies are talking to someone, but that someone is the audience. Whoa. The fourth wall, meaning the invisible wall between actors in the audience is broken. Whoa. And the... Uh, it's like Shakespeare was way ahead of his time before The Office. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Similar to how The Office does. Or uh, Parks and Rec. So soliloquies are often an interaction between the actor and mm-hmm. the audience. Mm-hmm. And what's in- interesting about soliloquies is it's the character's thoughts out loud. So it happens when they're wrestling with something inside them. Mm. So one thing, I saw this great lecture by a friend of ours named Camille Schuler, and she brought up this amazing point that I've never thought of, that all of Hamlet's soliloquies are before Act 5. And between Act 4 and Act 5, that's when Hamlet gets on the boat to go to England and discovers that Claudius has ordered his death. Claudius the king. Claudius the king, uh, his uncle, has ordered his death. Uh-huh. And this is the person he's trying to decide whether to kill or not. And now he knows that that person had decided to kill him. And he comes back and doesn't have any more soliloquies and comes back a changed man. And he's ready to go. He's it is go time. That's a great point. I know. I never thought of it. I was like, so soliloquies are about him wrestling with the moral implications of taking revenge for his father, just his own bravery and whether he can do this without dying, as well as the more important moral implications of heaven and whether heaven will judge him as damned or not, whether it is the right thing to do in the eyes of God. Mm. It is interesting in Hamlet, some of it is in verse, which we were talking about last podcast, and some of it is more in prose. Mm -hmm. Probably the soliloquies are in verse. The soliloquies are mostly in verse. Yeah, that makes sense because every one of them is important to Hamlet's inner conflict. Like, there's nothing funny about his soliloquies. Right. Um, They might have good turns of phrase, but they're all very serious. But Hamlet has monologues in scenes with with other people, and those, I feel like when I was reading it, were mostly in prose. Okay. Be an interesting point to look into further. Yeah. I I don't know, but that's awesome. Yes. So one thing about Shakespeare that's Mm -hmm. really awesome is in a lot of theater or even movies and television, there's subtext to what people are saying. There's there's things that are, are not being said out loud from the way people act or things like that. In Shakespeare, all of it's communicated in words. And that character might not be saying something out loud at the time, but they, they might come out later and be like, so this is what was happening. This uh, is what I thought about that scene in Act 1. <laughs> sort of. And uh, the soliloquies are kind of their, their, their time to do that, to tell the audience what's going on with them. You see this a lot in things with villains, like the Shakespeare plays with villains, Mm -hmm. like Othello, Iago often comes out and is like, I hate him, and this is why. And then he goes to Othello, is like, hey, what's up, guy? How you doing? How's everything going with, you know, Desdemona? Um, So the subtext is there in parts, but it comes out in the words, in in the soliloquies and things like that. Another thing that I'll talk about, too, is dramatic irony in this play. Okay. Which just means there's something that happens in the play that some of the characters don't know about, but the audience is filled in. So in this play, things like that Claudius has murdered his brother, Hamlet's father. Because most of the characters don't know that that happened. But the audience is told by the ghost in the ghost scene that he did that. 
and understands why Hamlet is doing the things that he's doing, whereas other characters in the play don't know. That's so interesting because when I was reading a book called Backwards and Forwards, it's a technical manual for reading plays by David W. Ball. I was reading that for play script analysis in college, and he was breaking down Hamlet and showing how you can break down Hamlet going forwards through the play and then go backwards through the play and see how this scene is set up and the scene that precedes it, etc. And he was talking about a lot of Hamlet's soliloquies and how sort of that dramatic irony comes into play because he's saying Hamlet is not crazy, he's not a whiner. A lot of his soliloquies are active because he knows, and we as the audience know, that his uncle did in fact kill his father. So a lot of the times when he's struggling with this decision, he might also know that other people in the castle are listening to him and be saying these things or pretending to be crazy because that's how he has to accomplish his mission. Hmm. Interesting. So the dramatic irony feeds into what what the objective of Hamlet might be. Interesting. Isn't it? I feel like Hamlet as a play and as a character is often referred to and people instantly think just, oh, this crazy whiny kid who didn't know what was up and everyone died. But if you really look at it, it's not, that's not what Hamlet is at all. He is a tragic character, but he's not crazy or whiny. So dramatic irony, we talked about that some. Yeah. And another one is when like Claudius is confessing to God and mm. he doesn't know Hamlet is there and Hamlet's there and we, we know that. And we're like, oh man. There's a lot of spine Don't in the show. Bro. Yeah. I also think it would be interesting to do a version of this that was almost CSI because when we were reading it, I did lean over to Miles at one point because he was going, I forget what scene it was, it's a scene in Act 4, I think okay. I want to say. And he was like, man, I forgot how long this scene is. <laughs> and I said, this scene is basically the half hour point in CSI when all the detectives get together and they're like, so for all the people that didn't watch the first 30 minutes, this is the crime. <laughs> and these are the clues that we have so far. And this is what we're going to do for the last 30 minutes of the show. And that's I, literally what that scene is. I think I know what scene you're talking you, about. I think it's like Act 5, Scene 2 or 3. Maybe. Okay, maybe it's Act it's 5. It's right after he gets off it's, the boat. And yes, he's like, so yo, Horatio, here's what's going down. I yes, found yes, this letter. Yeah. I found this letter. Now I'm ready to kill the king. Oh, yep. Laertes has challenged me to a duel. Probably shouldn't kill him, uh, but I'll do the duel. Right, <laughs> that right. That's what it is. So it would be so interesting to to have that also as a version of Hamlet right. somewhere. Right. We, we didn't talk really any about modern day adaptations, except for our awesome ideas for ones, which are all copyright 2016, Beverly and Allison. We talked about The Lion King 2 being Romeo and Juliet. Lion King 1 is kind of Hamlet. His uncle kills his dad. Right. There are a ton of good movie versions of Hamlet, though, or recordings mm -hmm. of plays. I won't go into all of them. I'll name two that I think are really cool for different reasons. Kenneth Branagh always does a great job with Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. He often directs as well as stars, and he just, he has great take. He really understands the language and what is important in the play. Yeah. And then there's another Royal Shakespeare Company recording that they actually did on sound stages and stuff. So it doesn't just look like a theater. Right. It has sets and things. Starring David Tennant, star well, of Doctor Who. Yes, I watched some clips of that on YouTube. You've never seen it? No. Oh, that'd be a fun one. We'll watch that. And that does a really good job with a lot of it. I don't agree with all the choices they make. Particularly the death scene of Claudius isn't my favorite thing. But I think David Tennant does a really good job with the character. The soliloquies... Are, are done really yeah. well. And I think it's because they know it's important because 
those soliloquies are known so well by everyone. And as soon as they drop to be or not to be, or alas, Yorick, I knew him well, people ears prick up and they're like, all right, now I'm going to judge you. Because <laughs> they know True. those monologues and soliloquies. So they did a really great job with it. And then the thing I'm here to talk yes, about Yes, talk today, about this. I am here to sell you all a book because it's the Actually, best Actually, I think I, I want to borrow this now. Yes, you should. Okay. This is the best book I have ever read. <laughs> I got this for Christmas one year from my brother who I hadn't seen in four months. He gave it to me and I started reading it and I didn't stop for three hours. I didn't visit with him hardly at all. It's called... To be or not to be, that is the adventure by Ryan North, William Shakespeare, and you. And yes! It was a Kickstarter by this guy who does webcomics. He worked for a couple years to compile a choose your own adventure Hamlet. This book has everything because you can follow the actual plot of Hamlet by following, like making all the choices with a skull next to them. Mm. So you can do it through. And it doesn't have the text. It's not written in the Shakespeare text. But it has clips of the text, so it'll be like, oh, I think I'm going to talk like this for a while. And then it'll just, like, quote the text. Right. So it's a really great way to understand the play if you need it in more normal speaking terms than the verse. Right. And it is so much fun because you can be Ophelia or the ghost or Hamlet. I want to be the ghost. <laughs> and each ending has its own animation. And it, he got together with all of his webcomic friends and a bunch of different artists did animation for it. It's the best book I've ever read. Go get it. So now it's time for me to ask questions. Yeah, I have a question. In my version, anyway, I have, in a ton of different lines, parentheses. Mm -hmm. Is that in the original text? Do you have any idea? So when you see parentheses mm -hmm. around parts of the text mm -hmm. or just certain words mm -hmm. and stuff, that's a way to say that they're putting that word in this, but it may not have appeared in a couple other versions of Hamlet. Got it. And sometimes it is in parentheses because they're like, we think this is the word that they were saying, but it was spelled weird or differently. Okay. But so it's almost like the sick symbols. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. It's them saying... We're pretty sure this is what they wanted to do. Okay. So okay. the reason that there are different versions is because back in the day, they were all being handwritten. Right. And so they were copied Those differently. Those got, got lazy. Right. They got a little lazy. <laughs> it's just like, it's too many words. Words, words, words. And so there's a couple. And that things. is a great point to bring up as well because we were, how many people were here when we were reading it out loud? We had a good group. Twelve? 10? We all, of course, had our own version. Some people mm -hmm. had it pulled up on their phones because Shakespeare, obviously, you can get anywhere online. But there were a lot of moments, especially in the version I had from the library, where people were saying, hey, it's your line. And I would say, no, it's it's not my line. Or you went on a tirade at the end of one scene. I mean, your character did. Whoever you were reading <laughs> at that time, you and somebody else had exchanges for five or six sentences or more. And I had none of that in my version. Right. So it's just super interesting, and it makes you understand why people can spend their entire lives studying just one Shakespeare play. Yeah. Not even all of them. Mm -hmm. Just one. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how quotable this play is. People love to study Hamlet for sure, and part of me didn't quite get it, but I will say I am getting Shakespeare more after oh, doing this and talking to you. I'm so blushing. I know you are. You're so in love. It's great. So, so in reading it again, yes, so many quotes jump out at you. Brevity is the soul of wit, words, 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 frailty, thy name is woman. 
get thee to a nunnery. There is method in it, his madness. Yes, there are so, so many. The play's the thing. A little more than kin and less than kind, which is like the best quick burn I've ever heard. He's saying, I'm a little closer to you than I would like to be and not super happy about it. Yeah. Uh, neither a borrower nor, nor a lender be. It was just blowing my mind. And that's when I texted you and was like, is this just the most quoted thing in Western literature? Shakespeare in general is and is credited with a lot of phrases that have come down through English and, you know, helping create a lot of the English language. But it never really jumped out at me so much, except that Hamlet is just chock full of like half of the phrases, I would say. And, and I mean, obviously, to be or not to be is played with all yeah. the time. Oh my god, we didn't even talk about Something Rotten in the State of Denmark, which I just watched one of the best movies I've ever seen by Tarantino, the Shakespeare of my heart. It's called- Josh Sweden is not the Shakespeare of your heart? Joss Whedon is a different kind of love to me. Okay. I, I see Tarantino as Shakespeare because he uses monologues and his stories are about the words. Joss Whedon is about relationships and characters. Gotcha. Which is Shakespeare too, but anyway. Right, which I also will say super quick. I was just watching that episode of Buffy. See, so you're going to love me because I'm bringing it back to Buffy. I was just watching the episode... In season seven, all the ghosts come to all the different people. You were watching the episode called Conversations with Dead People. Correct. Okay. It's similar to what you're saying, the ghost in Hamlet. Hamlet doesn't know if it's really the ghost of his father or if it's the devil or what. And that is basically what that entire episode is what about. What Don deals with in that episode, right? But, and Willow. All of them. Oh, and Willow. I forgot about Willow. And Buffy, because Buffy's <gasps> talking to that vampire dude. And <sighs> then he's talking about telling her these things. And then you spend a couple episodes trying to figure out if what they've been told is true. So, Joss Whedon. He knows what's up. He's got it. Uh, he's got it going on. So, in True Romance, which is a great movie... They actually say something's rotten in the state of Denmark twice. What? And it's like right before everything goes wrong. So mm. anyway. What are the themes? I mean, death really is a theme. How is death a theme? The whole play revolves around death and dying and killing. And like whether it's okay or not okay to kill someone or even to take your own life. I mean, they bring that up because Ophelia kills herself. And then there's the whole conversation at her graveside as to whether or not she can be given a Christian burial. Yeah. So there's a lot of struggling with mortality. Yeah. I think there's a lot of struggle with indecision in this as well. Mm -hmm. Hamlet is your guy for indecision. He is constantly wrestling with whether he wants to murder. He is a man of inaction. And another foil for Hamlet is Laertes. A foil just means someone who contrasts another character. So Laertes and Hamlet are both also young men and their fathers have both been murdered. Laertes finds out his father's been murdered by Hamlet and goes, busts down Claudius's door and says, where is he? I'm gonna kill him. Contrasting. So contrasting with Hamlet, who finds out his father's been murdered and is like, I don't know if I should kill this guy. I don't know what that means for me in my afterlife. I don't know if it's the right thing to do. I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people think Hamlet's a dick, and I don't think that he is. No. Because he struggles yeah. with the idea of murdering someone. And yeah. a lot of other people in this play are like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill someone. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's said that this play, it's a five-act play about the moment before you decide to murder someone. And it's wow. like sitting in that moment. And I, I saw it, I read somewhere online when I was researching, there's a line in Julius Caesar where Brutus says, if Caesar is trying to take all this power, the only way to stop him is to kill him. Should I do that? Yes, I should. And it's like this four line thing of like that moment. And mm. somebody said that this play is that moment, but in five acts. 
And it's Hamlet really exploring that that situation. Laertes is quick to action. Fortinbras is quick to action. And Hamlet just is trying to figure out his stuff. Revenge is definitely an important one. And, yeah. and Heaven's take on revenge. Because at one point, Claudius is praying and confessing that he did murder his brother. And Hamlet has the opportunity to kill him. But one of the things that he says is why he shouldn't kill him at that moment is because if he kills him now, all of his sins are absolved because he was praying for forgiveness mm. instead of having him murdered like in his incestuous bed when he's having sex with his yeah. mother. Um, a lot of people think incest is the theme in the play too. Yeah. Hamlet and his mother and Ophelia and her brother. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, I haven't looked into the Ophelia and her brother thing, but I, I understand where people are coming from. Yeah, there's been a lot of takes, especially with Hamlet and his mom, because he's so protective of her. I don't personally think it's the strongest choice. I think the stronger choice is him just being so upset that she could so quickly marry someone else, especially yeah. someone related to his father. All right, so now we're going to read a little piece for you. We're going to do part of Act 5, Scene 1, which is where Hamlet has just returned from England. Ready to get it done. Ready to get it done. There's a great scene between two grave diggers digging up a grave, and Hamlet doesn't know whose it is, but we learn from the grave diggers that it is Ophelia's grave, but Hamlet mm. doesn't know. Dramatic mm. irony. There we go. Dramatic irony. Boom. So I'm going to be reading Hamlet in this, yes. so wish me luck. And I'm going to be Gravedigger, or it might be in your text as Clown, or some other name, because he's listed as a couple different names. Excellent. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Whose grave's this, Sarah? Mine, sir. Oh, a pit of clay for to be made, for such a guest is meet. I think it be thine indeed, for thou liest in it. You lie on it, sir, and therefore it is not yours. For my part, I do not lie in it, and yet it is mine. Thou dost lie in it, to be in it, and say it is thine. Tis for the dead, not for the quick, therefore thou liest. <laughs> Tis a quick lie, sir. Twill away again from me to you. What man dost thou dig it for? For no man, sir. What woman, then? Well, for none neither. Who is to be buried in it? One that was a woman, sir, but rest her soul. She's dead. How absolute the knave is. We must speak by the card or equivocation will undo us. By the Lord, Horatio, this three years I have taken note of it. The age is grown so picked that the toe of the peasant comes so near the heel of the courtier, he galls his kibe. How long hast thou been a grave-maker? Of all the days of the year, I came to that day that our last King Hamlet o'ercame Fortinbras. How long is that since? Cannot you tell that? Every fool can tell that. It was the very day that young Hamlet was born, he that was mad and sent into England. Aye, Mary. Why was he sent into England? Why? Because he was mad. He shall recover his wits there, or if he do not, <laughs> it's no great matter there. Why? T'will not be seen in him. There the men are as mad as he. How came he mad? <laughs> Very strangely, they say. How strangely? Faith, even with losing his wits. Upon what ground? Why, here in Denmark. I have been sexton here, man and boy, thirty years. How long will a man lie in the earth ere he rot? Faith. If he be not rotten before he die, as we have many pocky corpses nowadays that will scarce hold the laying in, he will last you some eight year or nine year. A tanner will last you nine year. Why he more than another? Why, sir, his hide is so tanned with his trade that he will keep out water a great while, and your water is a sore to care of your horse and dead body. Here's a skull now. This skull was laid in the earth three and twenty years. Whose was it? A horse and mad fellow it was. Who do you think it was? Nay, I know not. 
pestilence on him for a mad rogue. A poured flagon of reddish on my head once. This same skull, sir, this same skull, sir, was Yorick's skull, the king's jester. Ooh. And scene. Scene. What I want to point out real quick from that scene, though, is yeah. if Hamlet knew Yorick and his skull's been in the earth three and 20 years, right. Hamlet is older than 23. Yeah. For mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And younger than this guy who's grave digging because he remembers when Hamlet was born. Now, another thing that's revealed in this scene is that, which I heard from this great actor who was playing Hamlet at the time. Some people think that the reason Gertrude Hamlet's mother marries right. Claudius right. is because... King Hamlet was actually like a really gruff, mean king. Okay. And that Claudius is this like nice, benevolent politician. And so people thought he was actually a better leader. And this guy was in this production at the Royal Shakespeare Company was saying, I think it's better if if Hamlet's father is like this great father and, and Hamlet loves him, right. Hamlet Jr. And he said, but then I found this part where it says that he was at war when I was born. So when Hamlet was born, his father wasn't even around. To, like, be there with the baby. He was off at war fighting Fortinbras Sr. Interesting. Right. That also makes it more interesting than if maybe he didn't love his father so much, but Claudius raised him. That right. makes it even more difficult. Right. To be told by your father who you feel that you should love because he's your father, that you have to kill the man who was your dad. Because right. there's also another great quote. It's not a Shakespeare quote, but it's something along the lines of like, anyone can be a father, but it takes someone special to be a dad. Yeah. And the difference that it is between basically being a sperm donor uh-huh. and being a role model and like part of your child's life. Yeah. Lots to think about with Hamlet. Yeah. Ooh. Wow. Thank you for going on that journey with us. Yeah. This has been Shaky Understanding. Deuces, peasants! How I got that degree without knowing a lot about Shakespeare is fine. Well, it's niche. Not everyone likes Shakespeare, which is crazy.